Coming up this hour, we're going to talk President's Day. We're going to talk about dating and politics and what does it look like to love your enemy. This is The Common Good. Welcome to the Common Good. Happy Monday, as Brian Fromm loves to happy say. Happy Monday. Doesn't even have to be Monday. Just happy whatever day it is. <laughs> He's that guy. I try to talk it into existence every time. <laughs> Do you have other, like, dad ticks where, like, um, if, like, a CD skips in your house, you're like, oh, remix. Or if, like, no. a thing doesn't scan at the grocery store, like, well, guess it's free. Or, <laughs> I could do that one out, man. I've told you before, the whole dad joke thing, like, where, like, dads, everything about dads as they get older where kids roll their eyes. Right. It just, it's like, like a light switch. It just turns on yeah. when you hit a certain age. And I am, I am like, in my prime right yeah, now. I love I'm it. in my prime dad joke. What are some other area? good ones? Like, when, uh, when you're hanging out with some guys and somebody shows up a little late and somebody always says, uh, well, they'll let anyone in here. That's a, that's a dad thing. You strap something down and I was like, that's not going anywhere. That's yeah. another dad thing. They're not we, jokes. We, like, my kids say this all the time. They make fun of me. We'll sit down for, like, uh, dinner. We'll all be around the table. I'll just go, all right, who called this meeting? <laughs> Oh, man, that's pretty funny. And so the kids wrote us this really... They probably hate it, though. The kids wrote us this really sweet birth, uh, Christmas. Like They made like this little booklet. Sure. And part of it was like different sayings. And, of course, there it is. Who called this meeting? <laughs> that's great. All right. Well, if you want to hear more of those dad jokes, you can go on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, plus we're on Twitter, Common Good Talk, and uh, wherever it is you get your podcasts, a little rate subscribe review that all does really really help us out a whole lot thank you so much for those of you who do that and uh maybe we'll talk a little later in the show about the all-star game you watched it, it was i did awesome not last it night. sounded like all it was, of it was incredible great. my yeah. whole uh interwebs was blowing up about yeah. it last night plus uh valentine's day we can we'll see if we have time for it but yep. plenty of you will know today is president's day hopefully you're not at work I was going to say, yeah. do, you, uh, do you have things that I'm you do? I'm sitting here behind a microphone but, right now. Like, as a family, though, do you do anything on President's Day because the kids are off school? or No, th- this year is obviously a little different just because of uh, of working. But uh, it is the, also the anniversary of uh, – <laughs> so, you know, there's always <laughs> Wait, President's Day. I'm about to tell you. But it, this requires some background because it was going to sound oh, too random. God. You know how it's also like – we're going to get into this, but President's Day, there's lots of President's Day sales. Yeah. So it is the anniversary of us finally purchasing uh, our bed last year after having the same mattress for 20 years. I and remember so, you talking about that on the show yes. a lot. And so that was a purchase last year at President's Day. I jokingly told my wife, happy anniversary. This is, uh, but no, we don't do anything to kids. I wish you hadn't given the context. That would have been funny. It would have been funnier. <laughs> I uh, honestly, my kids today, before I left the house, were still in bed and they were like, uh, last night they just said they were super excited to do nothing today. So yeah, that's yeah, good. I, I think, think that's Wise. The president's tree, uh, the president's day tree, did not get put up this year. We didn't decorate mm. it. No lights this year. So, oh boy. Well, hopefully, Big Brother's not listening in. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to a few of them a little bit later. I found this article: is sixteen inspiring quotes about faith and the Bible from U.S. presidents. There's mm-hmm. a couple in there that were actually kind of surprising to me. I want to read a little bit from this other article: President's Day from a Christian perspective. We'll see how much time we have to actually get all of this in. But uh, it starts by saying, "I believe President's Day is a good time to look back at the history of past U.S. presidents, flawed as they may be." 
And as we are, I might add, they hold some unique individual histories before and while holding office. But even the past U.S. presidents, whether they believed or not, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's from 2 Corinthians 5.10. According to several scriptures, I believe they will be held to a higher standard and be held more accountable than most of us will be because where much responsibility is given, much will be required. That's from Luke 12. Abraham Lincoln is among my favorite U.S. presidents. The man held office during one of the most tumultuous times in our nation's history and worst since the American Revolutionary War. President Lincoln served during the American Civil War, a time when the nation was deeply divided, when North and South were ripping the nation in half, where brother fought against brother and father against son. So the death and destruction of the war took its toll on the nation as well as President Lincoln. One thing I've noticed when looking at photos over a president's term is that the years take their toll in a more rapid fashion than before. It's like the weight of such titanic responsibilities slowly crushed mm. the person holding them. Ultimately, we know that God, quote, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and set up, sets up kings. Uh, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. That's in Daniel 2. And it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. That's from Psalm 75. So it was in God's sovereignty that President Abraham Lincoln served during the American Civil War. And that should change the way we look at history. Mm. And he goes on to describe uh, other presidencies and, and possibly perhaps... Um, a Christian perspective in looking back on today. And I'm curious if you've given that any thought in, no. with regards to how we actually interact with today. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up. I, I really enjoyed this article when you sent it to me. Uh, I don't uh, – I'm one of those guys who tends to not give much thought to these types of holidays. Like I don't go, oh, let me reflect upon the presidency. I know that's what you're supposed to do right. on a day like today. But it is a good reminder. You know, when it comes to the presidency, there's a couple – and we're in election season – there are a couple things that we as believers need to hold on to. One is we need to be praying for our president, whether it's a president of your party or not, uh, but also be reminded that uh, that while we have a president, we also already have a king and a lord yeah, <laughs> that, right. uh, that is ultimately um, uh, who we follow. And so on a day like today, we can be reminded to pray. We can be reminded and be thankful for the presidents who've come before, flawed as they are. And uh, and also be reminded of who ultimately uh, it is that we follow. Well, I want to. Um, would you grab this article? I want to know a couple of your favorites from this. The sixteen, 16 inspiring, inspiring quotes. quotes about faith. Um, it begins with one from Ulysses S. Grant. He says, "My advice to Sunday schools, no matter their denomination, is hold fast to the Bible as the sheet anchor of your liberties. Write its precepts in your heart and practice mm. them in your lives. To the influence of this book, we are indebted for all the progress made in true civilization. And to this, we must look as our guide." in the future. I thought, I, and I don't actually know that much about Grant, but I actually found that to be kind of surprising. Are there any in the list that you particularly liked? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I enjoyed this one from Ronald Reagan. He said, uh, if we trust in him, keep his word and live our lives for his pleasure, he'll give us the power we need, power to fight the good fight, to finish the race and to keep the faith. Hmm. So I, I was, I, I enjoyed that one because you, a lot of times you read the power we need, and then it's going to be dot, 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 power to defeat this, right. power to defeat, but it was right, fight the good fight and finish the race and keep the faith. I, I think uh, those are pretty biblical concepts. So uh, these are good. These are really good quotes. So what do you think of this one from uh, Barack Obama? I'm a Christian, and I'm a devout Christian. I believe in the redemptive death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that faith gives me a path to be cleansed of sin and have eternal life. What do you think of that one? Uh, it sounds pretty biblical. I tried to do my best. I know there was like a, at least a season when he was president when people were trying to discern whether he was a Christian or not. I tend to take people at their word. Uh, yeah, right. And, uh, and, and I enjoy what he says there. Um, you know, what, what was the other one that I saw in here that I enjoyed? Uh, 
Theodore Roosevelt said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Hmm. And, uh, you know, so many of these, especially, I don't know if you notice this, especially the older president quotes are very grounded in in the Bible and in the word. Hmm. And uh, there's something um, interesting about that. There's something generational about that. Okay, so here's one from Franklin Roosevelt. We cannot read the history of our rise and development as a nation without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in shaping the advances of the republic, where we have been the truest and most consistent in obeying its precepts. We have attained the greatest measure of contentment and prosperity. Mm. I kind of miss just a time where we write like this in general, to be honest. I do, too. It's like such poetry. All right, we got time for maybe one or two more. What else stood out to you from this list? Yeah, I mean, our current president, Donald Trump, said when you open your heart to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice. The Bible tells us how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And, uh, you know, I oh, going off and before you share one more, going off what you said uh, just a minute ago, I do also miss a time where we didn't like doubt everybody when they use the Bible and it's being used for power and it's being used uh, manipulatively. <laughs> like yeah. some of these, I'm like, man, I, I feel good that our past presidents uh, were able to say some of this. Yeah, I'll, I'll end with the uh, the president that the first author mentioned, Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. In regard to this great book, I have but to say it is the best gift God has given to man. All the good the Savior gave to the world was communicated through this book. So either way, uh, those will all be posted on the Facebook page. I encourage you to check them out. What are some of your favorites? What do you and your family do for President's Day? If anything at all, maybe you've never actually given it much thought, but I think there's some uh, some really good food for thought about how, as Christ followers, we can posture ourselves on days like today. Well, coming up next, uh, here's the subheading. More American couples set out to be, quote, equally yoked on political matters, mm. too. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, or wherever it is you get your podcast. If you wouldn't mind giving it a little subscribe, a little rate, a little review, or even a little share. That does help Ooh. us out. Um, I'm told that you can just tell Alexa to play it for you. Is that true, Brian? That is what I'm told as well. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How? How in the world is this still a thing? <laughs> Oh, boy. We're going to talk about that a little bit Here, later. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to no. come in and tell you when I've done it. No, I'm going to keep bringing it up. No, we, you don't. No, you, I'm the captain now. Okay, you've, you've lost your chance to determine how this goes. Yeah, right. You forfeited those rights. Uh, all right. So coming up next, even for Christians, Trump has become a dating deal breaker. But before we dive into that, I want to tell you a little bit about Thriving Financial. So Thriving Financial is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit serving members for over 100 years, which when you think about it, it's kind of crazy. That's a long time. That's yeah. a long time to be on that list, too. Uh, if you've ever wanted to be your own boss, using your entrepreneurial skills to come alongside Christians in their wise with money journey, make the first step in changing your career and the lives of those you serve at Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers. Or if you're the telephone kind of person, you can just simply call 630-598-2128. That's 630 2128 and tell them that Ian from the Common Good sent you mm. because that's me. Yes. I'm Ian. 
I'm not sending them. This is the common good. <laughs> I'm not sending Just you there. Just want to make sure that I thread all of those needles. Uh, <laughs> all right, so tell me a little bit about this article. It's pretty interesting. We're, I, the way that I teased it up was that when this idea of equally yoked was uh, was really rising in popularity, it had a lot to do with like making sure that you're on the same sort of religious plane with the people that you're dating. It seems that this idea of being equally yoked now m- matters uh, politically as well, and people are finding how someone votes or how partisan yep. they are to be deal breakers in their romantic relationships. And we just came off of Valentine's Day weekend. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, I found this article to be really fascinating. And you and I have talked about this before. Every now and then we take articles where I'm not exactly sure what to think of them because I yeah. can see both sides of this. So yeah, right. uh, it says this uh, half or more. Uh, of white evangelicals say it would be impossible or very difficult to date someone with another view on abortion, religious freedom, or gun rights. Huh. They're top dating deal breakers, according to a new survey from the American Enterprise Institute. The poll also found that most Americans and most Christians across traditions would be unwilling to date someone who had a different stance than them on President Donald Trump. Oh, no kidding. For decades, married couples have become increasingly united on political issues, and dating has taken a particularly partisan turn under the current administration. For believers, the instinct to make political party a prerequisite for a relationship is complicated. Because if a person prioritizes political leanings as much as faith, that's not biblical, said Gary Smalley, uh, a Christian counselor and vice president of marriage at Focus on the Family. Hmm. God doesn't prioritize politics. He prioritizes that we are equally yoked. And it goes on to give a lot of statistics. Uh, It says uh, nearly half of white evangelicals, 48 percent, say conflicting views on guns would be a problem compared to 38 percent of Americans overall. Hmm. Uh, overall, 62% of Americans said they wouldn't date someone who disagreed with their view of Trump. Black Protestants are the most adamant. Nearly three quarters say they would refuse to do so. Uh, and so those kind of stats go on and on. And uh, do you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe a month or two ago now, we did uh, we almost mockingly did an article about a dating site where you had to take like a uh, – it was uh, – a statement of faith, and it was like Calvinist. What was it? It was. Uh, I didn't mock that. You mocked. I it. mocked it. I, uh, I was predestined to love it. <laughs> and but this is getting at some of that. Like that, we are putting up um, some very specific criteria of who we will date. And at first, that feels weird to me. Like, well, you know, it sounds very non-romantic and <laughs> very much like you know, you kind of work through some of these are minors versus the majors. Uh, but some of these, if they are a big deal, you understand it and huh. you want to be like, OK, uh, I'm severely a- I'm, I'm adamantly anti-abortion and you're not. That's going to be a problem. So let's not date in the first place. Right. Uh, I'm not a gun person. So the gun right one feels weird to me to put on that same level. Um, but then all the way down to uh, people have opinions upon our current president and uh, to be. Uh, the question is, like Smalley said there, does that fall under the category of unequally yoked? Yeah. And right. uh, it's just an interesting article. I, I'm struggling with it because I could see both sides of it. Like there's part of me that's like, really, we're going to get this specific now. Uh, but you could also understand why it's better to know this information at the front end. I actually don't know that we haven't always been that specific. I think yeah. we just have uh, greater capacity to measure those things because of how much dating takes place digitally. You know, you're able to 
sort of search and categorize those things. The dating site OkCupid reported a 64% increase in political terms appearing in users' dating profiles after the 2016 election. And eHarmony found that mentions of the president's name in profiles rose by 50% after Trump's inauguration. People who in 2015 said, politics isn't that big of a deal to me, they now have an opinion. That opinion largely came to be in reaction to Donald Trump. That's what the eHarmony CEO Grant Langston told Global Dating Insights. Political variance within relationships has been shrinking for decades. Researchers at Stanford and the University of Houston determined that in 1973, 54% of newlyweds shared similar political views. But by 2014, the percent of newlyweds who shared similar political views had risen to 74%. Wow. So I think that's pretty. And I don't think it's just politics. You know, like my wife and I, uh, as a part of our date for Valentine's Day, we I, I bought her this marriage journal where you're like working through. It's like a yearly journal. And you start by writing sort of your mission, value, vision for your marriage. And then you start to get some specifics. And it didn't take long for wow. us to talk about like how we were planning to parent our kids through like questions of faith and religion. And we both were a little surprised at like some specific areas of nuance, not like catastrophically surprised, yeah, yeah. but you know, we've been together. I mean, at this point, six years, seven yeah. years, something like that. So I think that there is some maybe possible wisdom for this yeah. level of specificity. Like, all right, yeah, if abortion or guns or climate change or if these are like really big issues for you both personally and in your faith journey, I don't know. Part of me thinks it actually makes sense to bring yeah. this up early in dating. Like, hey, let's not um, waste each other's time. If this will be a deal breaker down the road, let's talk about it now. That's kind of how I feel. But maybe it is more specific than it has been in the past. Yeah, it's just interesting because like we've talked about many times, my wife and I started dating, you know, when we were 19, 20 years old. And I don't remember having any of these talks, but part of it was oh, that really? age, you know. But also, you just think you were not old enough to have much of an opinion at well, the time? Here's what worries me about an article like this, too, is like, for very few of these issues, is it so black and white that, that it's stuck in cement, right? Like, if if you yeah, that's if you're dating somebody and and you say, hey, this is what I believe about, you know, climate change, say. Sure. There's no saying that three years from now, you might not have read stuff and listened to stuff and grown in such a way that you believe the opposite. Yeah. And and that's where some or of this, something different, even if it's not a, a sure total more nuance. Yeah. Very few of these things where even if you believe strongly about them are so black and white that yeah, there's not right. some nuance change. And so the question becomes, what if we get into a uh, a marriage and all of a sudden, like, you know, I was a Republican, but now I really don't like that president or I was a Democrat. Oh, now Bloomberg. I yeah. yeah, now I really don't like. The, <laughs> yeah. And now I really don't like that candidate. And, right. and like I even start shifting in my parties. Yeah. And this also happens in our theology, you know. You ten, 10 years ago, Ian's theology <laughs> was different than it is now. Right. False. And so there is no, a need. Right, there right. is a need for grace within this in which we go, you know what? The, what binds us together, uh, the love that we have for each other and the commitment we have for one each other goes beyond us being able to check all the same boxes on all the same. Yeah, but, issues. but you don't start with that love, though. I think the question as yeah. to how you start dating, you don't have all that stuff that binds you together yet. Yep. So you're really making a decision about trajectory. I had a professor in college who was our marriage and family counselor, and he would say the number one thing that couples bring to me when their marriage is in trouble is he's not the man I married. She's wow. not the woman I married. And he'll always say. Uh, good. That was 15 years ago. Yep. He's like, they shouldn't yep. be the person you married because you're growing and evolving. And like you were saying, you're reading new things. And so yep. it is in a lot of ways. It's a commitment not just to like present love, but also future love, regardless of the trajectory exactly. that life takes exactly. you on, which is whew, 
Marriage is tricky. It is. You've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. I wonder who scored this song. <laughs> do you know? I have no idea. Hmm. Do, 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 do. It's nice. It's it nice. sounds like it could be from a movie, doesn't it? What kind of movie? I don't know. What would be happening in a scene using this song? This feels song? like a bank robbery. <laughs> like they're preparing for it. It's like Ocean's oh, Eleven and the they're prep. prepping for it. Like do, do, And like you're getting different shots of he's working on this and then they're doing this and it's kind of fast Look moving. At you. You're a real visionary. Does this work? Yeah. Can you see it? In you, your should, mind? you should score your own movie. All right, what do you think is going on with this movie, with this music? Yeah, I was going to say almost like the opposite. I don't know why. <laughs> what is it What's doing? the opposite of a bank robbery? Someone depositing, someone depositing money. Someone depositing money to an ATM. <laughs> <Just> some... <laughs> you know what? I don't know that I've ever deposited in an ATM in my life. Stop it. Not ever. I always just How? went in. For real? Yeah. Wow. Still to this day? I know you probably don't get a lot of checks, a lot of you know online stuff. No, but... I just, I just use the app. I know, but I'm asking if you get a check, do you ever, instead of you... You're, so you're saying you never go in anymore either? Oh, I still have to go in sometimes. But back in the day, because all that cold hard cash. But back in the day, when the when the when the option was ATM or go in, you went in. Yeah, I'm. That's interesting. I'm sort of showing my relational cards here. That is interesting. I would even sometimes when I first uh, got my iPass, I would still sometimes intentionally go through the booth just to interact with the person. <laughs> no way. Yeah, because I felt like, man, these are some of the most probably <laughs> overlooked, underappreciated people in the workforce. I just want to be a, like a kind presence for three seconds of their life. I don't <laughs> That sounds so pippy-dippy, I realize. <laughs> I actually, when I, my wife was living in the city, I think I mentioned this a year ago, actually, there was a, I felt the conviction to stop using the iPass and to actually talk to the toll booth person. And I kept getting the same lady, you know, when I would drive down for date night. And uh, so much so that she would, like, recognize my car coming, and I was driving down for Valentine's Day, and I had made this woman rose. I would made her a card, a Valentine's Day card. No way. And I gave it to her, and she, like, teared up and, like, leapt out of her booth and, like, gave me a hug through the window and was like, she honestly, she was like, you have no idea how much this means to me. And, and then I she couldn't said, believe it. And then she said, that'll be 70 cents. You still, you still <laughs> owe me the money, right? This card won't uh, won't give you a free pass, but... That's impre- That's nice of you. I don't know. And no, I could no, totally no, no. see you doing that. I'm not saying that. it was. It's weird. It's weird that I did it in the first place, but uh, I'm just now remembering all of that. Um, you're familiar with Willow Creek and Harvest Church, Heard right? of them. You are familiar with Heard of them, the yes. general... Uh, okay, so it's been a year. There have been it's, some stories. It's been a couple of stories, which I will say we're being a little cheeky right now. They've actually been pretty painful stories and yeah. ones that we want to navigate, not only with some poise, but also some sensitivity. We know that a lot of our listeners uh, have been or currently are a part of these churches. So um, that is just one thing I want to say at the onset, too. Like These stories have been really, really tough to talk about, um, to even pray through at times. And some of the stories just continue to get weirder. But Christianity Today did an article, and the headline simply reads, Willow Creek and Harvest Struggled to Move On. It says, the departure of Bill Hybels and James McDonald leave churches waiting for new leadership and hoping to rebuild trust. Mm. What's going on here? Yeah, it's a interesting snapshot into where both churches are at, and they both seem to be having a little bit of the same struggle. So it says, it's been 22 months since Bill Hybels resigned. That's uh, crazy. And the... Uh, one of the biggest in the country, the Chicago area megachurch, is still without a senior pastor. Right. The multi-site congregation, once celebrated as a model and training ground for Christian leaders, has struggled to transition to steady leadership in the aftermath, leaving the well-being of its eight locations and thousands of congregants at stake as attendance and tithes dip. Mm-hmm. So it goes into a little bit of what has happened since he left. 
Um, and then it says the current tumult at Willow Creek and its greater Chicago neighbor Harvest Bible Chapel showcase how long lasting the effects of a fallen pastor uh, can be. So uh, Willow. So they give some statistics. Initially, attendance was down nine percent across all locations in the months after Heibel's left. The church reported twenty one thousand attendees each weekend. But internal reports from October and February showed attendance totals more around eighteen thousand, whereas a couple years ago it was at twenty five thousand revenues dropped by a third. And then they do a lot of the same kind of talk about harvest. But really, at the heart of the conversation is this. They both can't really still get to the spot where they can replace either of these guys. Hmm. And I think that's it's a really long article, so we'd encourage you to read it at our Facebook page. And the reason we're discussing it is it's out of this uh, most recent Christianity today. And uh, But what does it say that they're having such struggle replacing them? Is it just right. that you still have to do all the work of healing, or is it that these were so built around two people that it's more or less impossible without some real systemic changes to right. actually replace them. Yeah, and I don't I don't really know how to answer those questions. I mean, honestly, as Chicago area pastors, both of these examples have baffled me a little bit to yeah. be honest. It's certainly broken my heart. I even wrote a, a long post uh, around this time last year kind of even confessing online some of my difficulty uh in reconciling some of what we were learning about James McDonald and you know being more angry than anything yes. and having to sort of confess and reconcile some of that. Like, okay, Ian, that might not be the most helpful posture right now, but it also kind of breaks my heart because we're in this city together and we've yeah. seen so much of the good that have come out of these churches and the life change and the stories. And I have a lot of friends that have not only attended, but have been on staff. So to, to read this, and again, it is a good read. It is lengthy. Um, but what, what would you guess are some of the things at the core of why they've so struggled uh, since the dismissal of their lead guy, like what if, yeah. if you had to pinpoint it? If you had to guess, what would, what would you say? I'm going to go with two. Okay, one is I don't think um, as much as uh, you, you would hope it were the case. Even after two years, you know when you go to the dentist and they got to get like all the cavity out first, and um, or. I don't think everything's cleaned out yet. And we get this, right? Mm. We're only a month out from that story about uh, Gilbert Belzikian at Willow and yeah, what may right. or may not be true. And more stories about Harvest. James McDonald's name still comes up. I don't think that all of the stuff of the past has been dealt with. So it's hard to move on to the future. And secondly, I would say that you've got two really, I mean, at the top of the list, dynamic leaders uh-huh. who were the faces of those church. I think it, we talk about celebrity culture in evangelicalism. I think this is one of the side effects of it, that when that celebrity is removed, the church has a real trouble finding its footing because so much of these churches were about the leaders at the top yeah, uh, right. with their preaching, with their media, with whatever else it might be. And so when you remove that, I think you kind of I would have to think you're in that room going, what do we do? Like, right. who are we even looking for? What are we doing? And so I would think those two, if I had to pinpoint it, I'm going with those two being one and two. So, I, I you know, we talked a good deal about this Restore Chicago conference that yes. took place at Miami Modern Judson University. And uh, our friend Lena, who's been on the show a couple of times, yep. who is a staffer at Harvest, I'll just kind of end with this. Just as a reminder, again, um, not as a some sort of cautionary tale or we're not in any way looking to 
re-up on a story that's maybe tired and ready to move on, but like as, um, as a reminder to us of like the real hurt and the real pain that can often come as a result of not dealing yeah. with these things well, she wrote uh, in a letter, six years since I first walked out of a church I loved, six years since I was finally able to admit that something was terribly wrong at that church, six years since the pastor, my hero at the time, stopped being my hero and my world turned upside down, six years since I last trusted a church leader, six years since I've been able to shake that feeling. Mm of gardenness that now services every time I step into a church six years since I've been able to tithe without wondering exactly how my hard earned money would be spent six years since I felt safe among God's people six years since I've wondered whether God loves them more than he loves me. Mm. And that I like, so appreciate her honesty um, and her vulnerability there, but that also pains me because I know that if Absolutely. she's feeling this way, uh, she's not alone. Nope. Right. And so at the very least we're praying for Chicago, we're praying for our churches. We're praying for harvest and Willow specifically that, um, that they would find healing and restoration in a way that like only God can bring. And that, you know, I know that, uh, Brian, that's your heart too. Absolutely. And in whatever ways that, um, that we can do that, we would love to be a part of helping, uh, restore that and, uh, to be a part of the solution. Absolutely. Coming up next, uh, there's an article that David French wrote, and the headline is simply this. Um, Will somebody please hate my enemies for me? We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us dancing in the studio right now. It's President's Day. It's what you do. (laughs) I got you a card. You got me a card. Uh, I'll see you at the President's Day Ball later tonight. Yes. I'll be wearing my fanciest tuxedo with my monocle and top hat, as we've, one does. We have to finish the show quickly so I can get home for our traditional President's Day feast we mm, have in our home. Which we know, of course, includes what? Uh, chicken. Uh, <laughs> uh, and interestingly, uh, there's a mac and cheese element to it. I'm surprised you what don't know this. Element? What is it, But it's mac and cheese, but you wouldn't expect that to go with chicken. It's a weird President's Day thing that has gone through, through the generations. I've never heard you call, or anyone call it, a mac and cheese element. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> like it's hanging from the ceiling, or yeah. it's infused with something. Yeah, it's some Brussels sprouts, and then there's applesauce. Like, it just goes, and uh, yeah, the traditional creme brulee, which also seems weird for... President's the level Day. of pomp that you face right now. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going. It's so it. it's got this. I, I'm going to paint a picture for our listeners. He's got this look of condescension <laughs> on his face. Oh, you don't know. That's just my what? natural resting face. <laughs> resting condescending yes. face. <laughs> that must make you a great pastor. Yes. An idiot. Why are you looking down at me? What are you talking about? <laughs> just, just reading from Exodus. Helps in marriage, everyone. too. <laughs> Wow, we are off the rails this President's Day. My holiday, goodness. Yes. Well, speaking of President's Day, let's talk about some presidential stuff. Well, okay, I should fill in some information buckets first. Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. We post all of our articles there. There's some lively discussions today and yesterday, by the way. So I yes. encourage you check those out. Also, just learned that uh, rating our Facebook page does actually help. Giving it a little review, even if you're not interested in writing, you can give it a star rating. That helps mm. somehow. 1160hope.com slash the common good. There is no rating to be done there at all, but nope. there is a very weird video of you and I when we first started and didn't know each other. <laughs> I don't know what I'm getting into. This show will be fun. It's a little bit of preview, a little bit of a hostage video. It's a little bit of both. <laughs> Especially the scene where we're tied to the chair. Yeah. That is, uh, listen to the common good, Where I'm talking, you're holding a side going, <laughs> help me. And you're eating, uh, I think, a mac and cheese element. element. <laughs> nope, they wouldn't even give us the element. <laughs> they wouldn't give us the element. Just the allure of a mac and cheese element. Uh, also, we're, a weird saying, mac yeah. and cheese element. I wasn't going to, I mean, it is, but... 
It felt fancy. And if this was earlier, like a year, uh, months ago, you would have said, I played bass in Mac and Cheese Element, but it feels like mm-hmm. you've grown past that a little bit, which well, makes me sad. No, I haven't grown past it. I've just said it less. Mm-hmm. It's still happening in my head. Good. For sure. Because those dad jokes that you said before, that feels like yours, even though your kids don't understand it yet, but it feels like I've yours. been telling dad jokes since I was 16. Oh. I, I clearly do not need to be a dad to tell dad jokes. All that means is, as you get older, when most people start doing it, you're going to be highly skilled. You're going to be ahead of them. Thank you. That's yep. so encouraging on this President's Day. I'm going to say on this President's Day. <laughs> on this President's Day. <laughs> as many it adds times. gravity to it. <laughs> it I, really, am, <laughs> I am going to go to the vending machine in the outside. On this president's day. Where's my gavel? I require my gavel. I would normally do this, but I would never do that on this president's day. All right. So there's a guy named David French, and uh, he wrote an article called Will Somebody Please Hate My Enemies For Me? Here's how he starts. Uh, This year's National Prayer Breakfast was a study in contrast. We talked about the prayer breakfast uh, last week. Is that right? I believe it was. Might have been two weeks ago. It feels so long ago. So this year's National Prayer Breakfast was a study in contrast. Washington Post columnist and former American Enterprise Institute president, that's a title, Arthur Brooks, spoke before Donald Trump. He delivered a theologically true and moving address about a profound and difficult biblical command, loving our enemies. It began like this. As you have heard, I'm not a priest or a minister. I am a social scientist and a university professor. But most importantly, I am a follower of Jesus who taught each of us to love God and to love each other. I am here today to talk about what I believe is the biggest crisis facing our nation and many other nations today. This is the crisis of contempt, the polarization that is tearing our society apart. But if I do my job in the next few minutes, I promise I won't depress you. On the contrary, I will show you why I believe that within this crisis resides the best opportunity we have ever had as people of faith to lift our nations up and bring them together. And so French goes on to say, I urge you to read the entire thing. We have this linked on our Facebook page, by the way. It was powerful. It was profound. Most importantly, it was true. And note that throughout the entire speech, he does not once urge any Christian to relent in the quest for justice. Hmm. We can and should fight for the religious, cultural, and political values we hold dear. But as we seek justice, we must also love our enemies. We must also bless those who persecute us. These are not tactics. They're commands. Hmm. Then President Trump spoke. At the outset, he said, Arthur, I don't know if I agree with you and proceeded to do exactly what he does. Hate hot hate on his enemies. He aired his grievances against political opponents in personally insulting terms at length, but none of this is truly news. This is what he often does day after day on Twitter, during rallies, and in the press. It's been a core theme of his presidency and before that, his candidacy. When many of his most zealous Christian defenders say that he fights, this is exactly what they're talking about. So, it's mm-hmm. probably obvious at this point, French's particular perspective in writing, and yep. I would urge you, Read whether it. you agree or disagree, it's a well-written article and we'll have plenty to talk about and disagree with, I'm sure. Uh, I'm curious, as we've already talked about the prayer breakfast itself, what do you think of sort of his premise so far in this article? Uh, So you did mention that he tends to write often against President Trump, but I do think where he's going to go in this article is really interesting because what he's going to say is, While we know the command to not hate our enemies, to love our enemies, we want to have a leader or somebody else hate our enemies for us. And so it's almost like hatred by proxy, right? Like Hmm, it's like, I can't say that I hate somebody, but I want somebody who's going to fight the people I wish I could fight and do it in the way I wish I could do it. Uh, And so what French is going to say is that's a problem. If you as a Christian uh, even are subtly viewing it, 
uh, that way. He said, to put things more plainly, one doesn't comply with the command to love your enemies by hiring someone to hate them for you. Hmm. And that's a little bit of his premise. And you might disagree with his premise, but his premise is really fascinating. As Ian said, we'd encourage you to go read it at our Facebook page. Uh, But French later is going to say love isn't optional, not even when lives are on the line. He says... Uh, We see this in Jesus. Most importantly, we see this in the Apostle Paul. We see this throughout the early church, uh, this call to love our enemies and love our enemies. And that he French is trying to say that also needs to go for the people that we support, whether it be leaders or whoever else it might be, uh, rather than us going, hey, I'm going to try to love my enemies. But I'm really kind of deep down happy when the people that there's other people out there doing my fighting for me. Yeah, let me read a little more from the article because I think it's so good. He says, remember, the Christian command to love your enemies came from a savior who was entirely uh, an entirely innocent man about to be executed by his enemies. Yet he was also dying for them at the same time when the Apostle Paul told first century Christians to be be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. He was speaking to an early church that wasn't enduring tweetings. It was facing beatings. It was facing <laughs> death from the leaders of an evil regime. Those were the enemies Christians were to love. And we talked about this a little bit last week. He goes on to say, hate has no place in pro-life America, none. And embracing or defending hate, even hatred of the movement's most vigorous opponents for the sake of life, contradicts the spirit of the movement and stands to do more harm than good to the political cause that so many Christians value the most. And just to be clear, too, he, he mentions a couple places where he's uh, he's been pro-life since he's learned what abortion was, uh-huh. that he's uh, done pro-life advocacy work pro bono um, but mm. then he also has found though that in the last three decades there's been a lot of uh, hate associated with holding that position and he says this he says uh, in more than three decades of pro-life work I've understood two things quite clearly the defense of the unborn does not justify sin and the battle for the unborn is far more spiritual and cultural than it is legal and political which that alone I'd like to unpack just that yes. sentence sometimes yeah. I think I think that is actually a, a fascinating perspective yeah and he ends by saying uh, I'm an imperfect man, but when I'm made aware of my sin, I repent and I make a simple vow. By God's grace, I will love my enemies and I will not hire anyone to hate them on my behalf. Mm, and so I do think this good. is a really this is really challenging. This is really thought provoking. How far does Christ call in our lives to love our enemies go? Yeah. And right. how much do we believe in it and how strictly are we going to hold to that? So uh, we'd love for you to head on over to the Facebook page, share some of your thoughts. And there, some of you as won't always. like this article. That's right. Some of you will love it and you'll champion it. And that's, again, Why part of the it. goal of the show is to help us find some common space to actually dialogue about these really difficult things. Well, coming up in the second hour, we're going to talk about something out of the SBC. We're going to interview Dr. Michael Youssef. We're also going to talk about some warnings for the modern worship movement. That's all coming up next hour here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that 
I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Coming up this hour, SBC pastors threaten to boycott. Plus, we'll interview Dr. Michael Youssef, and we're going to talk about some warnings for the modern worship movement. This is The Common Good. Welcome to the second half of the Common Good. We're so glad that you've joined us or yeah. stuck with us. Hopefully, or, at halftime, you got you know your orange slices and you're ready to go. Got your the energy. Orange slices. Remember that when you played little league or, or soccer growing up, and it was always orange slices Ours at halftime. Were always like the freezy pops. That was after the game, but like <laughs> halftime. Halftime, we always had orange slices because I think the I moms. I think you're thinking like, your experience was everyone's experience. No, this is like a thing. Google it. Most people, the orange slice and like a little. Okay. What would I Google? <laughs> Orange slices. Orange slices for Little League? Question little, mark. I'm going to look it up. I'm not going to talk to Alexa, but I'm going to look. You're going to look that up before you actually find out if Alexa will actually play our show? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well. Yes, I am. Did you see the uh, the Dawkins tweet, by the way? I did, but I, I didn't dive too much into it. I don't know that I want to actually talk about it right now, but he made some some pretty controversial comments about eugenics. And uh, he's like, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to do it a disservice. Yeah. You should, we'll post it on the Facebook page. Check it out. Uh, the internet is real mad, by the way. I don't know if you ever experienced the... Uh, the internet gets the, mad? The wrath of the internet. But <laughs> I personally have not. But. And he kind of doubles down. And it's interesting because it's people like both right and left, people, Christian and atheists, that are like, what are you, what are you doing, man? Like, it's... It's, it's bringing Christians and atheists together for the first time ever. It's a very <laughs> well interesting, done. but uh, yeah, we'd love to know what you think. Maybe we'll get some fodder on the Facebook page and talk about it later in the week. We'll see. Uh, anyway, did you see this news out of the SBC? I did. So here's the headline. There's a couple of headlines I'm going to share. Uh, SBC pastors threaten boycott over inclusion of female teaching pastor Hosanna Wong at conference, which, fun fact, Hosanna Wong just spoke at our Blast Winter Conference in January. Okay. And she was phenomenal. Yep. The kids loved her. Uh, she was engaging. She was real. Like I thought she did an incredible job. What was the connection? Because she's obviously not connected to your church. Does someone knew of her or? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if it was Did like, you want like her phone number? No, nope, nope, nope. Okay. I didn't know if it was like a personal friend oh, or something no. like this, or no, just we, like, hey, we've heard of her. She's great. Let's no, give her it's a call. A, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a big, I mean, it's, you know, 1,400 teens, and yep. we, we'll, they'll bring in, you know, national speakers all the yep. time. She's a spoken word artist, word artist, but she's also a teaching pastor. Um, what's some of the specifics of the story about this boycott? So it's very strange, and I just told you off air, I, like, neither you nor I are in SBC churches. So I, it's kind of like yeah. watching, it's kind of like watching, you know, like a family feud from the outside. Uh, but the Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference is coming up and it's a big deal every year. Like this is uh, the Southern Baptist pa- uh, Pastors Conference is a really big deal. And so it's going to be held at the First Baptist Church of Orlando, where both you and I have been for exponential multiple times. Uh, yeah. That church is impressive. Just the campus. You're like, where? <laughs> I got lost on there multiple times. It's the proper use of the word campus, by the way, because it's it is. enormous. One of my best friends in the world actually got married on that campus. For real. Mm-hmm. 
I always love that little chapel. That's uh, that one part. By little, it still seats like 400 people. <laughs> but it is a campus. Like, yours, like building A, building B, building C. It's wild. That's not what we're talking about, though. Nope. Yeah. But, uh, but so... This conference is going there, and uh, Hosanna Wong, who you referenced earlier, has been invited not uh, even to preach there, but to do a spoken word, um, which uh, seems pretty, regardless of your theology, seems pretty non-threatening. And uh, some people have just gone crazy about it, and they're threatening to boycott because they're allowing her uh, to speak. And... uh, the the leadership of the SBC seems to be holding fast, like, nope, we're going to let her like this is ridiculous. But it's kind of what I said to you again, being from the outside makes it a little dangerous, but it just feels like there's more going on. Like there's some yeah. fight for the core of the SBC that this is the weird battle. Some people have chosen to go because they've had yeah. women. Uh, they've had women preach, literally preach at this conference before. But I think they didn't hold pastor positions, though. I think that's part oh, of is it. that. It? I think so. Go ahead and explain that one. So Hosanna Wong is a teaching pastor in her role and position. Uh, so so that's they're, what... they're inviting someone that I think arguably theologically doesn't like part of what they're saying. I saw from a Sam Bunnell who said uh, this does not represent the majority of the SBC. We will fight for right. So like there there is a general sense, not just that it is a female communicator. But then I, I read elsewhere, though, Dwight McKissick yeah. said a, quote, teaching pastor is not the lead pastor. If Phoebe could be entrusted to deliver the Roman epistle to the church at Rome and the church would be told to receive her in the Lord and assist her, then the pastor's conference can receive, receive Hosanna Wong. Uh, churches are autonomous. Yeah. So he's appealing even to like, you know, a complementarian position of the SBC, like yeah. receiving her to do a spoken word piece uh, in his mind and maybe arguably in our mind as host of the show um, to me seems a, a little wonky, but you're right. It is sort of like watching a family food from the outside. Neither of us uh, are a part of the SBC, nor do we grow up in the SBC, but we did grow up in uh, conservative traditions. We though. Did. Yep. I'm curious, like, do you, do you think SBC has a point? Is there any part of you that's like, Oh, I see where they're coming from or, so can you see the, how they've gotten there? Uh, I would say yes, in the sense of like, hey, this is our theology that the, that the SBC, again, I believe, holds as a denomination. So why at our national conference would we stray from that? I just I struggle when when people's theologies are this dogmatic, like um, like I had myself as I was reading this, I thought to myself, what is she thinking right now? Yeah, like. Right. Um, it's the public nature of people like that. Also, what bothers me, it feels like there's some grandstanding going on. Like, hey, I don't want to make a scene, but I'm now about to make a scene. Yeah. Right. And you could picture, you know, when she gets up there being, you know, people getting up and walking out like you, you want to respect denominations theology. Right. Uh, you want to say that. But I just wish it was um, it was uh, lived out in this circumstance with a little more grace. And a little bit more, but maybe more behind the scenes discussion, uh, as opposed to like, now she's un, completely unfairly, in my opinion, from watching from the outside, being put in the spotlight that she neither uh, asked for uh, nor, you know, probably deserves. So part of what's saying here to the conference president, David Uth, am I saying that right? Yeah, I think so. It's like U-T-H, right? He confirmed to Baptist Press. He said that she's not preaching. She's not coming as a preacher. She's coming as a musical artist. Um that, for me, is part of what's so confusing about the yeah. whole debacle. 
regardless of your theological position on whether or not, like we, I think we've probably made that pretty clear. Maybe we haven't. Mm-hmm. In general, that's not even really the point of, the, no. of this segment. Is uh, It's not even about the theology. It's about how they've worked it out. And yeah, and it's happening on Twitter. I mean, yeah. on Twittersphere, like publicly for everyone to see sort of this like kind of mini earthquake emerge. You're like, oh, why, why are we even privy to all of this behind yeah. the scenes conversation? That part seems strange to me. And, and, and that's what it feels when I told you I think it feels like something deeper is going on here. Uh, it feels like some like some people on the much more conservative end of the SBC are trying to shake some things up. And we're uncomfortable with the with the trajectory of the denomination, and so. Uh, we're going to we're going to start picking some hills to die on here. They're going to force the denomination uh, to plant some flags. And again, uh, that just feels so messy. Like, you know, it's a right. it's a pastor. It's a national pastors conference. Uh, and she's coming to do a spoken word that just doesn't make sense from the outside. I guess I'd put it that way for somebody who's not a part of the denomination or denomination at all. Uh, it doesn't make sense that this is the hill to die on. But they, yeah. there really seems like when you start throwing the words boycott out there. Right. And you start doing it on Twitter. Right. And uh, it does seem like that there is a, a faction of the SBC that says, you know what? This is the hill we're going to die on and, and we're going to we're going to go hard at this. Well, Michael Frost, who we've uh, quoted before on the show, we've read some of his blogs. Uh, he wrote and said she was invited to speak at the Southern Baptist Convention's pastors conference in June. But a number of SBC pastors have written a joint letter of protest demanding that Wong repent, calling on every SBC pastor to phone the SBC immediately and threaten to withhold all executive committee funds until she's disinvited. If not, they're planning to mobilize a boycott of the event, pray for her. Mm. That, to me, uh, is about as succinct as you can get. But also, yeah. I imagine, like, what would you say in the last minute we have to someone who's like, no, I'm, I stand with both the SBC's position and their methodology? Like, what would you, what would you say to that? Yeah, I would argue with your methodology. Uh, I would say different denominations hold different theology. Right. And uh, that gets worked out differently within denominations. Uh, but... But doing it in a public nature, I'm going to boycott, we're going to turn the heat up, and we're probably going to make her life really uncomfortable. Like, it's kind of, uh, even if it's uh, not the intention, it's still going to happen, I think, is is short-sighted at best and just wrong-motived. And, and so that's where I would go for. I think that's good, man. Well, coming up next, Dr. Michael Youssef has a new book coming out called Saving Christianity. This is an interview you're not going to want to miss. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Plus, wherever it is you get your fine podcast, you can uh, like, subscribe, rate, review. All of that does somehow magically help us out. I'm not really sure how, but uh, we are absolutely thrilled to have on the phone right now, Dr. Michael Youssef. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much, Ian and Brian. Glad to be with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It is our pleasure. My guess is that many people listening will know who you are and will be familiar with your work. But for those that have been living under a rock, maybe they're not aware, would you just introduce yourself to our audience however you see fit? Sure. I am a, a miserable sinner who deserves <laughs> hell. But Jesus, in his grace and his mercy, uh, forgave me my sins when I repented. And... Um, Eternally saved me, and right now, this year, I'll be 72 and on, on my way to heaven. Wow. I can't wait. Oh, what a great intro. But, but, but as long as he gives me breath, I'm going to serve him with all my heart. 
I love it. That's great. What a great introduction. Dr. Youssef, uh, you are, I've uh, just written a book called Saving Christianity. And I'm just curious. I've never written a book. I, I love to talk to authors and just ask them, why'd you write this book? Why did you write Saving Christianity? Okay. This is my 42nd or 43rd. I've, I lost count. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Some of the elders yesterday at the prayer meeting were asking me, and they said, well, how long did it take you to write this book? This is unbelievable. I said, this book has taken me 40 years. Mm. I've written a lot of books, but this one taken me 40 years to write because the burden of my heart is I'm seeing what I'm writing about in the book, Dying to Save Christianity, is that these people through the years, starting way back in history uh, with um, Emerson and, and uh, Fosdick and, and, and on and on and on, which I mention all the names in that book, I, I go through the historical um uh, 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 cycle of, of departing from the truth, every one of those people who either <clears throat> watered down the gospel, trying to change the gospel, trying to modify Christianity, every one of them said, we want to save Christianity. Mm. And so it's been for 40 years building up, building up, and I'm seeing it now, it's on the increase. Mm. I used to be part of the mainline denominations, and I saw back uh, in the 70s how that deception came into the mainline denominations that we're going to save Christianity by watering it down, changing the gospel, denying the supernatural. A guy named one of the leaders of that denomination I belong to is a bishop in New Jersey by the name of Spong, who wrote a book actually, say, saving Christianity from the fundamentals, hmm. um, from the fundamentalists. And 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 from that time on, it's just been building up, and now I'm seeing the same deception that took place in my old denomination is mm. happening in the evangelical church, almost with precision. I said, where, where is people's brain? I mean, it just, uh, you know, it, the slightest spiritual discernment would, would ring bells in people's heads and say, now, wait a minute, we've been through this before, we've seen this movie before, mm. and yet that is happening now in so many called evangelical churches and mega churches where the gospel is being watered down, and almost really unrecognizable, and yet they say, oh, they're doing this because the real gospel, with all of its supernatural power and power of God and Christ Jesus, is just not accepted by society anymore. So we're trying to present a form of Christianity that is that will be accepted. And so I finally said, okay, enough is enough. I've been building this, I think, for 40 years. <laughs> and so this is truly my legacy to the future generation of, of Christians and saying, please don't fall for that trap. Don't fall for that deception. And started way back, even in the days of Charles Spurgeon, one of my great heroes, uh, we talked about the downward, the, the downward slope and, 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 and uh, downward slide. And it's, it happens over and over in every generation. But this time it's, it's rampant. It's, it's all across. And so, I just feel this is this is my my Krellian call, my my, my plea uh, for the faithful believers to stay strong, just like Paul, as he was dying. I hope I'm not dying, but if I do, I do. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But Paul was writing his last epistle from the prison, and saying to Timothy, "Whatever you do, don't ever give up on the truth of the Scripture." that the Word of God, all of it from Genesis to maps, is God-breathed, hmm. and therefore don't compromise it, don't be afraid, and 
that source of encouragement that the Apostle Paul was leaving to his next generation, Timothy, I am leaving to the next generation for my own sons who are preachers and to other young preachers and pastors all across the land and across the world. So, Dr. Yusuf, one of the things that Brian and I talk a lot about on the show is not only the state of Christianity in America, but also the future of Christianity in America. Could you talk a little bit about what you predict that future to look like? Sure. Well, I am not an in-time preacher. Right. <laughs> you know, being a, a, a reformed in my theology. Uh, but I, I honestly can tell you that I live, you know, I'm watching and I'm asking myself the question, could this be the great apostasy that Jesus talked about that will take place prior to his return? Because Jesus asked the question in the book of Luke, and in the Gospel of Luke, and he said, when the Son of Man return, should he find, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, that's a, that haunted me, actually, for many years. And I'm wondering right now, and again, I'm wondering, I'm not building a, do- a doctrine on it, but I'm wondering if this is not the beginning of that great apostasy, where so many people who preached the gospel, sold millions of Christian books and and CDs and and music and preachers and musicians, they're turning their back on that very gospel that they once preached. I know the Bible, I mean, the the word for it is apostasy, which means turning, turning turning their backs. But I am wondering if this is not it. But the problem, here's, here's the fact. Everybody is concerned about filling the pew. I'm talking about to my fellow pastors who are listening to us. We, we, they want to fill the pews. But look, the Bible's never told us that everybody's going to be saved. Now, we know the remnant will be small. Uh, it was so small in the days of Isaiah, a tiny remnant called the way, who remained faithful. That's what remnant means, remained faithful. All the way when Jesus came, his first appearance. And they, the ones who initially said, ah, this is the Messiah. Simeon is a simple example of that. He said, my eyes have seen your salvation. I looked forward to this day. And, and, and from Isaiah on, that remnant waited for the Lord. Now, I don't know how long we're going to wait as a remnant, but I am watching now and seeing that back in the 50s where uh, everybody just went to church and uh, whether they believed or not, they just it's a social thing to do. And back then, you know, <laughs> everything was great and everybody loved Ike. <laughs> but this, this is what I call the boat was right docked by the pier. Mm. But the boat has left the pier, and anybody who has one foot in each place is in a world of hurt right now because the boat is leaving. And that's fine. As the Lord Jesus said, when you see these things, look, lift up your head for your day of redemption is drawing nigh. So I'm not worried about it. I'm not concerned about it. Anyone who's in Christ Jesus is not concerned about the state of Christianity, because Christianity is Christ, Mm. and Christ has never changed, and Christ will never change, and Christ does not need saving. Christianity does not need saving. People need saving. And so we believers must get really busy working, serving, ministering, proclaiming, because we see the day coming nigh. Uh, I appreciate that so much, Dr. Youssef. Real quickly as we wrap up, where can people learn more about the book or about you or your ministry? Well, LTW, that's leading the way, as uh, we are heard on your wonderful station mm-hmm. every day, and uh, at ltw.org, 
and they can get saving. We don't sell books. We're not in the book selling business for a gift of any amount. Uh, we send you the book because that's we're in the ministry business. Uh, so we, 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 we do not sell books. So anybody, or you can go to Amazon, my goodness gracious, bookstores everywhere, Lifeway, all of the books, Christian books, is published by Tyndall. And so it is, um, it's your neighbors up there. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Sure. And, and, and it's in all bookstores, but you can go to LTW and just get it for a gift of any amount. Outstanding. Okay. That's LTW.org. You can also listen to Dr. Youssef on Leading the Way Monday through Friday at 8 a.m., right here on AM 1160. Dr. Youssef, thank you so much thank for joining you so us today. Pleasure. Thank you both so much. God bless you and bless your ministry. Thank you. You as well, brother. Thank you so much. Coming up next, we're going to talk about seven warnings for the worship movement. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. The music is just putting me to sleep. It's nice. It's like we're... Taking a gentle raft. Ooh, I can see that. Lazy river. Down a lazy river. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yep. I like it. Drinking Arnold Palmer's. Please. Preach. (laughs) Preach. Lazy river and an Arnold Palmer? This is the most excited I've seen you all I know. (laughs) Good night. Now I get President's Day and a lazy river? (laughs) Yeah, we don't have a lot of uh, active rivers where we're living right now. I I don't know what it was about this last week, by the way. It feels like all of my friends were traveling to warm climates. All of them. They were all posting these photos at the beach or on the river from their cabana. I was at one of my kids' sporting events this weekend and talking to one of the dads there. And he was like, yeah, my wife's in Florida. I'm like, oh, visiting people? She's like, no, she just said, I need to get out of here for a couple of days. And took the other kids <laughs> and then went to Florida. I said, that, your wife is a smart person right there. That yeah, is a wise no move. Kidding. All right, so before we dive into this next story, which uh, let me just read you the headline again. Seven warnings for the worship movement. So Brian and I are both pastors. We, we mentioned this a number of times. But I think this is actually super interesting for anyone who's even remotely interested in Christianity. There's some really good thoughts in this article. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about Thriving Financial. I'm a big fan of Thriving Financial. Mm-hmm. Thriving Financial is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit. I think for a long time they actually were the only Fortune 500 not-for-profit in the world. They've been serving members for over 100 years. If you've ever wanted to be your own boss, using your entrepreneurial skills to come alongside Christians in their wise with money journey, uh, I want to encourage you to make the first step in changing your career and the lives of those you serve at Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers. Or your phone also makes phone calls. You can call 630-598-2128. That's 630-598-2128. And if you wouldn't mind, just tell them Ian from The Common Good sent you. I'm Ian. This is The Common Good. I know a bunch of people that work for Thrivent, by the way, and uh, they seem to love it, not just because it's a, a great company, but because they actually get to do good in the world. Yeah. So if you feel like uh, your current job is stuck in your soul, let me encourage you to check out Thriving. you got to actually make a difference in the world. <laughs> There's all those people like, can I get the website again? <laughs> yeah, right. That's my unofficial slogan. Your soul getting sucked? <laughs> check out Thriving.com slash careers. Make it happen. That's funny. That's all funny. Right, so seven warnings for the worship movement. Here's how the guy starts the article. He says, without being boastful. I like to think that I have a unique perspective on the modern worship movement. Having Be boastful gr- now. Yeah, here, here it comes. <laughs> it's like someone saying, not to brag, but yep. uh, having grown up in the church and been on a worship team since the age of five, I have now ministered in the church world for 37 years, which makes him how old, Brian? 42. <laughs> Nailed it. Same age as me. <laughs> Same age as you. You know what I was doing at the age of five? Not being on a worship team. <laughs> 
That's inspiring. Uh, in recent years, I find myself in the amazing position of regularly ministering alongside some of the founding fathers and mothers of the modern worship movement, including Paul Wilbur, Robert Stearns, Julie Myers, Steve Swanson, Leonard Jones. I don't know most of these names. Concurrently, I am the... Uh, worship director of Resting Place House of Prayer, a thriving young adult regional collective movement, blah, 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 blah. Having one foot established with the fathers and mothers and the other foot establishing established with the sons and daughters, uh, it allows me to see a very broad, diverse, and multi-generational view of the current worship movement, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Here are seven warnings that I believe we need to be aware of as we look to the coming decade. Mm-hmm. Why don't you kick us off, Brian, with number one? I will. Can I just make a real quick point oh, when, when he says... I have a pet peeve when authors are like a thriving this. Do you ever have someone Mm -hmm. who's just like, you know, uh, I'm the worship director at a really struggling uh, organization that we're not sure. You know what I mean? It's like I'm uh, the author of a poorly selling book. (laughs) It's yeah, I'm I'm with you. I lead an apathetic people. And uh, (laughs) it's funny. Uh, Number one, sons and daughters uh, don't cut off the fathers and mothers. The enemy likes nothing more than to divide the generations, creating orphans. That's right. The enemy wants you mm. as an orphan, alone, separated, isolated, and cut off so that he could take you and your generation sound out of the picture more easily. Mm. Very few of us have a hatred for the worship fathers and mothers that have gone before us. We'll always honor them with the kind words and platitudes, yet we turn around in our next breath and say things like, the music is old, that style is old school, mm. that's an old wineskin, I can't connect to the worship, etc. Don't let the enemy use the musical style of the 90s to make you an orphan. Hmm. Research some of the pioneers of modern worship from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Study them. Worship to their music. Learn from them. Listen to their sound and anointing. Visit the wells that they dug 20 or 30 years ago before you were even born and drink from them. Contact them. It's not too late to embrace the fathers and mothers and receive a true double portion anointing of what they started. I actually really agree with this one. I think it is unfortunate how you look at most churches now, and most may be a stretch, but it's like if it's more than four years old, it's it's dusty. Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? And I think we do miss a lot by yep. refusing to actually look further back than that. Uh, number two, though, fathers and mothers don't cut off the sons and daughters. As I said before, the enemy likes nothing more than to divide the generations, creating orphans. One of the ways that I see the enemy trying to accomplish this is by stirring up jealousy in the hearts of musical elders in the same way that Saul became jealous of David. We see the young, gifted, and anointed musicians and singers, and we start to find faults. Oh, they're too loud, or they're too immature, or they're too drony. <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny one. I like that one. Uh, the, church, uh, the chords are too simple. We subtly try to keep them under our thumb because of the threat of being replaced. For many, this threat is tied in with financial sustainability as well. We keep ourselves in the limelight and on stage as much as possible because we have because uh, we have control over the scheduling and have seniority. What we don't realize is that the root of this mode of operation is an orphan spirit in us as well. Fathers and mothers, we must capitalize, must pour into, love, disciple, and raise up the next generation as if they will go twice as far as we did because they're supposed to. And it, and that is what a double portion anointing actually means. Let's not pray double portion prayers for the younger generation if we are not willing to see them far surpass us. Yes. Number three, poetry is not always good theology. Oh, preach. We have a massive biblical literacy problem in the Western church. This is largely attributed to having solid biblical teaching replaced with feel-good Sunday morning messages. Interesting. Hmm. The result of this trend has been a brand of feel good Christianity that makes us emotionally satisfied, but lacking a biblical plumb line. Uh, The same can be said for modern worship music. There are two ways that I've found to guard against falling into the trap of leading theologically lacking worship. First, uh, sing to God about God. 
keep the worship vertical about him. Choose songs that talk about his attributes. Secondly, sing scripture. It's that simple. He writes, sing scripture. I don't care if it's a 20-minute Sunday morning worship set or a three-hour regional revival meeting. Mm. You can always sing scripture. That's pretty good. Uh, We're going to have to speed these along a little bit. Number four, power is not the same as authority. How many times have we left a worship service or set and commented about how powerful the time was or the team was in leading it? Many times what we really mean, uh, what we really meant was that it was exciting, energizing, and uh, and exhibited people that had incredible musical giftings and charisma. The band Mm -hmm. was tight. The sound was good. The crowd was engaged and unified, and the leader could have platinum record sales, et cetera, et cetera. But here's my question. Was there authority in the sound? Folks, principalities, powers, and demons love a good concert just like the next guy. But what they don't like is when a sound of, of authoritative worship gains supremacy in the airwaves, rendering them helpless. We don't have time to have powerful worship meetings. It's time to have authoritative apostolic worship meetings. That's Ooh. good. Number five. Uh, don't prioritize musicianship over discipleship. I'll, I'll cut to the end of this one. Uh, we must remember that people were always Jesus's priority, not ministry. Even if it means having a smaller team for the time being, we must prioritize true biblical discipleship in our worship teams. Otherwise, let's just call it what it is. A music school with weekly jam sessions. Oh, man. Uh-huh. I, wish we, I wish we had time to read this whole that one. That was a big one. Number six, performance hinders presence. Uh, he says, lights, camera, action. The team has carefully selected and rehearsed four songs that will last a total of 19 minutes and will execute said songs in the exact same format that was shown on YouTube, verse, chorus, verse two double chorus bridge build 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 loud loud double chorus big ending <laughs> after all the youtube version was so powerful see warning about number four above <laughs> that is uh if it's copied copied and executed in the same exact way certainly we can expect the same results we can chuckle at the scenario but the reality is 95 percent of churches in america follow this formula week to week and here's how he ends um he says i would rather have a musically imperfect worship service than run straight into the heart of god than to have a perfectly executed service that simply regurgitates the latest greatest pre-planned songs Mm. number seven don't despise the prophetic worship is a two-way conversation can you imagine if i came to my wife every time with a pre-planned conversation Mm. written out and timed to the minute and then never let her talk that's not how conversation works but we must approach most of our but we approach most of our worship services in exactly that way interesting we do all the talking and we expect god to do all the listening he says at the end there whatever the reasons it is imperative that we allow ourselves our worship teams and our churches to walk through prophetic doors so we are not trapped in one-dimensional worship. Okay, just real quickly, which one of these seven, like, most rattled your cage? Oh, a bunch of them. I would go with uh, poetry is not always good theology. I was yeah. just having this talk with someone the other Were day. Were you really? Absolutely. I was thinking the same thing. Sometimes the songs that, like, really climb the charts, I feel like this is a curmudgeon thing, but sometimes yeah. I'll hear it and I go... That sounded really good. As a musician, I actually really like the music. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's good theology. Yeah. And maybe maybe that makes me a curmudgeon, but man, I think it's really, really important. Come over to our side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're 37 plus 5. I yes. knew it. All right. Well, coming up next, we're going to wrap up the show the way that we always do with a little bit of interweb insanity, stories we have not seen, sound effects we have not heard, and uh, it's going to be as terrifying as always. That's coming up next here in The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church 
actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. That wacky wild music can mean only one thing. It is the end of the show. Some of you are saying, finally. <laughs> you Others of you are saying, channel. maybe my mom is saying, no! <laughs> more Brian and Ian! That's not, that's not how my mom sounds. Nope. That's not a fair... That'd be funny. Your mom right now is looking like, what? Yeah, my mom is not Aaron Neville. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, it's that's clearly really the funny. end, isn't it? It's not really funny. Don't what, encourage what me. What was the Aaron Neville set? Wasn't that commercial? Cotton? The touch, the feel? of cotton. Did he do one of those cotton I songs? I thought he did. I could be 100% wrong. <laughs> I'm going to Google. Brain. For someone who like regularly uh, appoints himself the non-musical guy, yep. he'd be like, Aaron Neville, cotton commercials? Like, I, I don't know. Anywho, here's how it works. So it's the end of the show, and our producers pick a couple of stories that Brian and I don't get to see ahead of time, and they have associated sound effects, which we have not heard yet, and we're going to read them sight unseen, usually pretty blunderingly, uh, to be yeah. honest. And uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how inappropriate do you think today's going to be? Oh, President's Day. We tamed it down. <laughs> oh, we tamed it yeah, down for President's a four. Day? Because all of our presidents were so tame. Yes. That <laughs> we're trying to be respectful of the day. Oh, uh, by the That's way, also a first. 1992, cotton commercial Aaron Neville, 1992. Wow, I am impressed. Oh, thank you. And slightly weirded out. There you go. <laughs> All, All right, right, why don't you kick us off? New York, cuss collar will swear every time your dog barks. For <laughs> I saw ev- this. For every treat your good boy deserved but didn't get, for every itch that you didn't scratch, your dog can now vent out all its frustration in cuss words. <laughs> Uh, for $60, the cuss collar, which fastens around a dog's neck, will spit out a swear word every time your dog barks. That's so weird. It's currently sold out, but those who are in desperate need to have their dog swearing like a sailor can sign up for details on its next drop by texting the number listed on the website. The pre-recorded words include several colorful metaphors. Hmm. The product's website states that the product isn't a shock, vibration, or training collar and is not intended for anti-bark training. It's more of a gag gift. Uh, that the company behind the collar is known for. My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so one. that I may talk. Squirrel! <laughs> Squirrel. Uh, what movie is that from again? Is that from Up? It oh, is it from is. Up. Okay. Yeah, have you seen so. Up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. The beginning scene of Up is the yeah, best. I wish someone would have warned me. I, Kate, well, I remember watching it with Katie when we were dating and not being prepared for, uh, you know, bawling like a baby on this uh, weird... Yeah, yep. too much. Too much. All right, Colorado. Police get report of demonic sounds at restaurant. Pueblo police were uh, left baffled with a frightening tale early Thursday morning after responding to a Southside business where employees heard demonic sounds coming from a screaming woman. According to a tweet on Twitter, that's where tweets happen. That's where they happen. <laughs> Tweet on Twitter from Captain Tom Rummel at 3.30 a.m. Officers responded to the McDonald's near the intersection of Pueblo Boulevard and Northern Avenue. Employees also told officers that aside from the screams, they heard someone speaking in a strange language and barking. I'm really nervous about the sound effect of this one. They were so unnerved by the sounds that they said that they wouldn't be going back outside their building until after the sun came up. Could it be? Okay. Okay. 
That was better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like an exorcism clip or something. Uh, okay. Florida. We're back to Florida. <laughs> Man prohibited from bringing cardboard cutout of Trump to dialysis clinic for emotional support. On Thursday... Uh, ABC 13 News reported that a man undergoing dialysis for end-stage renal failure was prohibited from bringing a life-size cardboard cutout uh, to stand next to his chair while undergoing treatment, which he said he needs for emotional support. Nelson Gibson said that his family is not allowed to sit with him for the duration of his treatment, which lasts three and a half hours several times a week. So he started bringing a framed picture of himself with the president to feel more comfortable. Hmm. When no one complained, he upgraded to bringing a full Trump cutout, but this was not allowed. They told me it was too much and it wasn't a rally. When he was told he couldn't bring the cutout in, he simply left without treatment, after which his son, Eric Gibson, called the facility demanding to know what had happened. It was supposed to be an issue of safety infectious disease, which made no sense. You're fired. That was it? That was funny. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh, double whammy of Florida. Man, 26, arrested midstream while relieving self on bumper of marked police car. <sighs> you got this one? Yeah, I didn't realize what I was reading when I read midstream. I thought it was like streaming. A, anyway, meet David Marcel Lewis Johnson, the 26-year-old Michigan re- Oh, man. you <laughs> Michigan. Uh, Michigan resident was arrested early Friday after relieving himself on the bumper of a marked, pl- a marked police car, according to Florida cops. He was marking the police car. Okay, that is inappropriate <laughs> and still funny. Police say that Johnson was in downtown St. Petersburg around 1 a.m. when he was observed approaching a sergeant's police vehicle. He then removed... Okay, I'm not going to read all that. The arrest of it... You're not reading this, are you? I did read it, yeah. yeah. Okay, Johnson, who was uh, uncooperative with questioning, was charged with disorderly conduct for urinating in the view of members of the public. He was freed from custody after a relative posted a $250 cash bond. You gotta go, you gotta go. Okay. <laughs> so urinating in the view of public is a is an offense? Are you for real right now? <laughs> I am joking. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Last one is I'm also so out of Florida. You. <laughs> President's Day is bringing us lots of Florida. Cows on the lamb after a semi-truck driver fell asleep at the wheel, crashed truck carrying cattle. The driver of a tractor trailer carrying cows fell asleep at the wheel and crashed on I-75 Thursday morning, resulting in some cows running free on the highway. Oh, boy. Deputies said the crash... Uh, shut down both directions of the highway for nearly five hours. Officials said they were able to capture most of the estimated 83 cows that were in the trailer, but there were still a few on the loose. We had to call some handlers cowboys, and they had to come out and handle some of the cows. Uh, Schmidt said the remaining cows are in a fenced-in field where they cannot run back onto the highway. I gotta go, Julia. We got cows. (laughs) What is that from? I don't know. Twister. Ah, uh, we got you know cows. that was the first movie to be rated PG thirteen for weather violence. <laughs> no, I did not. What know would be the other movies? Mm, I, I have no idea. I, that's that's not really a, an area of trivia that I've really drilled <laughs> you, down. You know a lot into. of things. <laughs> nope, that is also that's, out of that's my uh, little Aaron Neville to close us out. Yep, I'm out on that one. <laughs> well. Been one heck of a Monday. We hope that you will join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. and every single day you ever desire on the podcast. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.